You're listening to Parenting in the First Three Years, the place where we explore the strategies and soul of parenting from pregnancy through the first three years of life. I'm your host, Ann McKittrick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey there, and welcome to today's episode. We're going to talk about how to build a great relationship with the person who takes care of your child while you work, whether that's a relative like your mom or mother-in-law, a nanny who comes to your home, or a child care program. Because you know what? Sometimes it can get a little sticky when you don't see eye to eye about how to care for your child. Today I've invited Dr. Zlata Stankovic-Ramirez to talk with you about how you can express your concerns and advocate for your child. She's an early childhood professor who helps students who want to become teachers, and she's also conducting research to improve quality and practices for brain architects and early childhood educators nationally and globally. I've known Zlata through our work with Texas AUIC, and I'm delighted to have her here on the show. She's going to give you some really practical ideas on how to build a strong partnership with your child care provider. So here we go. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Z, for joining me today for um, this episode on what do you do when things get sticky between yourself and your child care provider. And I want to define child care provider as child care center or family day home or a sitter that's um, in someone else's home or somebody that comes to your house, whether that's a person that's related to you or not. (laughs) So we'll keep that in our definition, but it just seems like sometimes things can go south when parents and teachers just don't quite see eye to eye. So what are some things that you teach students? What are the ways that you want them to communicate with parents? Um, hi, well, thank you so much for having me today. It's my pleasure and honor to, to join you for this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, things do get sticky. Relationships are, are very difficult to navigate if both people are not, they don't have the same understanding of, is it a partnership? Do I do what I do at home and you do what you do at school and we hope it aligns, right? And so I think that some of those things happen. Um, typically, when I notice a breakdown in communication is when uh, families and child care providers are not aligned. Uh, but what I teach students and what I've done when I've been a consultant for multiple preschools, uh, what I've told early childhood educators um, about communicating with parents is that you have to form that relationship. So it all starts with that relationship. So what does that mean? What what does that relationship look like? Well, it has to be honest and transparent. One of my biggest pet peeves that I noticed as a preschool director and a mentor was that teachers would say things like, oh, he had a great day today, Monday. Then it's Tuesday. Oh, he had a great day today. Oh, okay. You know, the parent's like, oh, okay, thank you. Takes their backpack, you know, Wednesday. Um, Oh, he had a great day today. Oh, okay. Thursday, same, great day, Friday, same day, you know, so it was always a great day. And what does that mean to the parent? What does a great day look like? What is it that you're communicating, right? And so when children are getting picked up, we only get typically five minutes with parents in the morning when they drop off and I pick up five minutes at the end of the day, you only have 10 minutes to communicate. And if all you're doing is this transactional relationship, right? Think about that. Transactional relationships, here you go, here's the child. Bye, buddy, have a great day, love you. They walk out, you know, and they come at the end of the day, he had a great day, you go home. Are you building that relationship, right? You're not. Um, You are just having this transaction of pick up and drop off. 
And so to me, it almost, you know, has to start right there at the beginning of having those meaningful conversations. Good morning. How are you? How was their night last night? Is there anything you want me to know for today? Uh, Did you guys enjoy the play you went to? You know, you have to sort of start listening, a lot of listening to hear what they're doing in their life and care about their family. And then they will share more. And, and then it it becomes this reciprocal two-way relationship. So he had a good day. I would, I would ask the teacher, well, what does that mean? Well, he listened, he ate, he went to bed. I'm like, okay, so basically he did what you wanted him to do, right? That's a good day. Uh, But to me, a good day as a parent is that my child learn to take turns. Did my child play well with others? Was my child happy and smiling? What did they enjoy today? What activity was fun for them? Was it science? Was it math? Was it reading? Was it outside? Right? So these are things I'm thinking as a parent. So right there, you have to sort of be aligned. So I would definitely say have those authentic conversations, right? Really be intentional. The best comment you can give a parent as a teacher is to say, I noticed Johnny was today uh, playing in the sand table and he was pulling out little horses. And I came by and kneeled down next to him and he said, horse, horse, I see horse at my papa's house. And I didn't know that you guys go and visit the grandparents and that he gets to experiencing a real life horse. That was so amazing. Listen to the richness of that feedback, right? Like you notice something about them, you know something about their family, you're really paying attention to their child. And so that's meaningful feedback. So really focus on meaningful feedback. Right. And then, of course, every day is not a good day. As adults, we don't have good days. There are days when we are just not ourselves. So how do you then do that? I always believe in the sandwich technique, telling a parent something specific and intentional that went well, telling a parent something that we need to work on and improve. Right. Together as a team here, me and your child at school and you and your child at home and then ending with something positive. So these are just some like basic things that we talk about when it comes to communicating with parents. Um, The other thing too is in general, and this falls on leadership and I've been a preschool director so I can say this fully honestly, it falls on us to figure out how parents want to be communicated with. A newsletter or an email is not the best way to communicate with all parents. Some parents want a text message, some parents want an app. Some parents want you to do a TikTok video. I don't care how they want it, you have to figure out What are ways that they want to communicate? So I think I did this at one of the schools where I believed in collective leadership. I had a parent meeting, all the families came and I handed a handout and asked, how would you like to be communicated with? And gave them 10 choices. And we ended up using seven of the 10 choices. Like we had seven preferences and this was not a big center. I wanna say like 25 families, but they had seven preferences of what they wanted to do and how they wanted to be communicated with. So I think that falls on leadership to figure out what is the best way to engage and communicate with the families too. So it definitely has to be this transparency, honesty, honesty, partnership, and intentional relationship building. So if you are a parent who is wanting to connect with your child care provider, and let's say they're not doing what you just described, how would you suggest that the parent from the other side of this, this thing, how would they try to um, invite and encourage this kind of communication? Absolutely. I'm, I would say like, I've obviously been on both ends. I have a son who's in first grade now. So I've been a parent of a young child in, in uh, three separate settings in early childhood. And so I would definitely say that um, one of the, I guess one of the challenges I saw was with COVID, like we couldn't go in the schools and, you know, pick them up and you aren't getting much interaction. You're in a pickup line, they're coming in the car, you know, you're leaving. Um, one of the things I would suggest is that you reach out, you email, 
and ask questions about what your child is doing, what they're into, what do they like. Um, set up a parent-teacher conference. Majority of places in their parent handbook will tell you, we encourage parent-teacher conferences. You know, we want you to um, communicate with us and talk to us about any concerns you have. We want to serve you and your family. So then it's up to you. You have to sort of become your own advocate as a parent, right? You have to really step in and say, okay, I know that I want to know more about what's going on in school. You also have to take into consideration too, some kids share everything and others don't. Uh, I went uh, through this myself. My son like would tell me everything. And then he turned four, he was in pre-K and it was done. Like, he's like, I don't want to talk about school. I want to play and do the next thing. So how was I going to know what was happening unless I built that relationship and asked those questions of the teachers? So I really think that if it's not happening at the school you're in, then you have to sort of be an advocate and, and ask for that and figure out how to get that. Um, because it, it, sh- it is more than just a transaction. It's not just, you know, you're caring for my child while I'm at work. They're helping your child grow and develop. They're helping build their brains. They're, <laughs> they're absolutely having a huge impact on your child's life. So that partnership is key. So if you're not feeling like that's happening, then you have to seek it out. Right. You know, last weekend I did a training for, um, it was an online training and there were 150 early childhood teachers on this training. So I heard a lot of comments and um, one of the comments that a a teacher made, and she, she made it very casually, but she said, uh, well, you know, her mom said, well, you are the one raising my child. And um, I just want to put that out there in the world that that's not the truth, that child care centers are not raising your child, even if they have them 10, 12 hours a day, they are, they are your partner, maybe, um, but they are not the boss and they are not the one who is raising your child. You are the one who decides what you want is best for your child. And you, you have to advocate for that. And, and if you can't, then it's time to, to make another plan, you know, find, find another place. Absolutely. So what about, uh, just, you know, like we talked a little bit about this drop off and pick up, what about communicate? I mean, like nonverbal communication that you might be looking for with the teacher and as a parent, how can you communicate without even saying anything? Yeah. So I've seen that, uh, go both ways. So I've seen parents come in and be really distracted and on their cell phone and, you know, picking up the child and wanting it to be very minimal, very transactional. Like, thank you. I got to go. I have other things to do. You know, they're always in a hurry. Um, They're picking up at the end of the day, five minutes before closing. And, um, and so I, I have seen that and I've seen teachers sort of look and be defeated because they want to take the time. I had a very strict, um, no cell phone, um, policy for teachers and parents for this exact reason. And I'll tell you why, Um, because I really wanted parents to engage and make eye contact with the teacher. I wanted the teacher to be able to say if they had something coming up, like if we have an event or something is going on and and to have time to form that bond and relationship, even if it's for five, 10 minutes. So I would definitely say I have seen where parents um, don't understand the value of that short, small interaction on both the beginning of the day and the end of the day. Um, and, and I've seen teachers defeated. On the other flip side, I have seen teachers who have the child fully ready. Like they're in a backpack, their, their jacket is zipped up, their backpack is on, they are at the door. They've seen you pull up, the car has come up to the parking lot and they can't wait to like essentially shove the kid out of the classroom. Yeah. And I've seen that, you know, because they, they want to close up and go home to their own families, understandably. 
So I think it can go both go both uh, two ways. What are you signaling to the parent? You're signaling, get out of here. You're it's closing time. And I don't, you know, I don't have time for this. I have other things to do. So I don't want any interaction with you. You need to come pick up your child. So I think it goes both ways, right? Um, I definitely discouraged um, teachers uh, to clean while children were still present. Uh, there were teachers who would want to clean up and get everything. They're like, it's just one or two kids. They're playing over here. I'm like, but the message you're sending is it's closing time and I don't have time for you or your child. Um, and so if we're closing at six, like we need to be fully ready to go through six, right? And if then we need 30 minutes to clean up and close up and be ready for the next day, then I need to pay you as a preschool director for those extra 30 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So then there's the administration piece where the administrator is like, oh, sorry, you have to clean up to be ready for the next day, but they need to also pay you for your time uh, for staying extra. So it's like multiple things can happen. And that the body language of like having the child dressed, having cleaning the room, you're not open for conversation. Same thing with a parent who's on a cell phone or distracted or checking their email and telling the child, come on, let's go, let's go. You know, hurrying the child to get out is not open for communication. So we have to sort of be intentional and think about from all perspectives, from the director to the teacher, to the parent, to the child. Like, what are we signaling and what are we saying? And then how are we building those communications? Um, Because they are so little, there's such a small amount of time to to create those relationships. And so we have to look at them as sacred. And also it really strengthens the home child, I mean, the child school relationship for the child. I mean, they need to see all of this good thing, good conversation and good communication going on between their parent and their teacher, because they're both such important people to the child. And so all of those things you just described are not only communicating to the parent, but they're also communicating with a scream to the child, you know. Absolutely. They're always observing and watching and they notice, right? And also like the cultural context matters as well, right? I mean, families from different cultures have different ideas about what the purpose of school is. And so I I know a lot of families who were like, I do my job at home, you do your job at work. And, you know, you trust me to do my job, I trust you to do your job. So it's very much like a a division between school and home, right? Um, And so that's another thing, like being very intentional with creating that culture and talking about what your mission and vision is and talking about partner partnership between uh, families. Um, I talked a lot about collective leadership when I became a preschool director for the fourth time. The first few times, it was very much a top down, like I was in charge, the staff was below me, you know, that kind of thing. And by the time I did it the fourth time, I really bought in this collective leadership where we all made decisions together as a unit about how we're going to run the program, what we're going to put on our, even like our forms, um, how we're going to redo our handbooks. You know, it was all collective, which really worked, I, I think, well and works well with this workforce that we have uh, right now. And so I did the same with the parents, like asking them how you want to communicate. What do you need? What can we do better? So I think um, you also have to be very intentional with communicating if you truly are a partnership and then really walk the walk. If you are a partnership, then you have to walk the walk. Uh, <laughs> you need you a know. partner. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I definitely think that um, we are sending those messages to young children and we really, really need to be intentional with what message we are sending to them about school and home. Um, To me, I teach my teachers this all the time and I stand behind this 100%. No one can tell me otherwise. But I say to my teachers in EC through third, you know, I, I teach a class classroom management. 
And one of the things we talked about is like, they're like, but if the parents are spanking them at home and if the parents are using corporal punishment at home and they're putting them in timeout, like this is what they expect when they come to school. Like, and I can't do that. I can't put my hands on a child. I can't use corporal punishment, right? And so I talk about like, yeah, you're right. Like the parent is setting you up to not be able to use some of those positive uh, guidance techniques that we teach you how to do as professors and as schools and professional development. And you know this, uh, you know, conscious discipline and all the things that have come out. Uh, we, those techniques might not work because you're right. Like the, what's happening at home is not consistent with what ha- what's, with what's happening at school. And so you're going to have a harder time guiding those behaviors because home and school look very different. And so I tell teachers that. So I really don't believe in using corporal punishment or timeout or negative techniques with young children, because guess what? When they start school, kindergarten on up, teachers can't do that. Uh, They will lose their job. And so, you know, so I try to really help parents understand that you want to mirror um, the school's um, ideas about raising children, guiding children, what's important, um, even, even something as simple as curriculum. Uh, You know, you want to make sure that it aligns with how you believe children learn and that your children are learning what you want them to learn. And and so all those things are important. And I think that sometimes, um, sometimes I think uh, these things aren't communicated clearly, but if they were, a lot of those sticky situations you talked about could be avoided. Right. And uh, you and I both know and are very much aware, and I'm sure that maybe someone listening is thinking, well, yeah, but. We know that what you've just described is a privately owned uh, program. You know, if your child is in a, a you know, a, a school district program or any other bigger entity type program, you probably are not going to get that type of collaborative decision making <laughs> on what's on the form and all that kind of stuff. So, but anyways, okay, well, that is really great. Um, great information and great advice for parents. What about a family? Um, and, you know, our, our audience is babies through three. What if that provider is a family member? And do you have any insight for parents who um, need to communicate and keep things positive with grandma? <laughs> or- yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. I would, yes, I would love to love to offer that. I went through this myself. Um, so I had my son in a lab school at the college I was teaching at. I was adjuncting when he was first born and that wasn't working for my son. Um, and so, um, so I had to be his advocate. So he stayed, um, my, my mother provided childcare for him for a year. He stayed with her for a year, um, half days, three days a week, I believe. Um, and so we really had to have those tough conversations, right? That same communication that I've been preaching as a consultant and as a teacher and a director and instructor, I really had to do with my own mother. And that really does get sticky. I'll be honest with you, that does get sticky. So a couple of things like what to feed him and when. Uh, when are children allowed to have ice cream? Um, one of my funniest stories I have is um, I thought that I was giving my son his first ice cream at about one years old. And she, you know, we got an ice cream cone and vanilla ice cream. And I was so excited and I gave it to him and he knew how to hold the cone. He knew how to lick the ice cream. He knew how to eat the cone. So, you know, that gave me a clue that he's been eating ice cream for maybe a little bit longer than I wanted. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and my mom just, you know, couldn't deny it that she'd been giving him ice cream since he was about nine months old. So for about three months, he's been having ice cream, right? So we had to sort of have those conversations um, about, you know, what to feed, when, how. 
Um, also, the way I was raised in the 80s is completely different than Daniel needed to be raised in 2014 when he was born, 15 when he was one, right? And so we had to have those conversations about what is the what is the the science behind? Uh, what should you be doing? Reading to the child, getting to, on children's eye level, playing with them, interacting, lots of language. Um, so one of the things that you know she thought was just so ridiculous. But I said, you know, when you're when you're washing dishes, like you should be talking to him because he's learning language. She's like, but I'm busy washing dishes. He's playing with his toy. Like, what is this? You know, I said, but the science said that, you know, if he learns X amount of words, you know, so we really went through this. And luckily we found some middle ground. I would say 90 percent of things I wanted to be done were done. 10 were not, uh, hence the ice cream story. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I and I also had to sort of figure out. Um, how much uh, control I was going to have in my absence. Uh, you know, she is grandma, her role isn't mom. Um, and so, you know, really navigate that, navigate that relationship. So I think that can be really tricky, but I do think healthy boundaries need to be set. Expectations need to be set. Conversations need to be had. And that respect has to be there. And we had this arrangement for about a year. And when Daniel was about to start school, she took him to mommy and me um, on Tuesdays, I'm going to say, or Thursdays. And they did this thing together where she helped him transition into school, which was amazing. And then once he started school, he was going, I want to say from seven to three or four, Monday through Friday. Um, she was really happy to see that he flourished and he grew and like that their time together, having that year together in his toddlerhood, you know, really impacted him in a positive way. But again, it had to be a partnership. It had to be those conversations. It, it had to be those, um, you know, um, things that that um that needed to be done i think it's also hard honestly between you and i um to have uh to to care for your children's children um, in a way that your children want all the time 100 of the time and you know with me having the background in early childhood and working on my phd at the time in child development and early education <laughs> of course you know uh i branded myself an expert uh, and, you know, so, so that, so that had some funny, funny stories as well, but I, I will tell you that, um, it really made me appreciate how much my parent did do for my son, because even speaking in Serbo-Croatian to him, I'm from Bosnia, speaking in our native language to him, nurturing him, loving him and doing the things that were needed, I know has helped him now be successful as a first grader. Right. So I would say, establish those boundaries, have those tough conversations, expect for things to be mostly the way you expect them, but also be flexible a little bit too. Right. Yeah. I think that flexibility word is very important. And I also think it's really important to just keep the child top of mind, you know, and the relationship between the child and the grandparent or whomever it is, is the top priority. It's not whether or not they ate, you know, cookies after lunch and you chose not to, you wish they hadn't given them that, you know, I mean, it's, it really is about their relationship and their um, attunement to your child and, and responding to them, you know, in a loving and kind way. And um, that's really the bottom line for all of this, I suppose, huh? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So um, for parents who are expecting a baby or haven't put their child in childcare yet, maybe they've been waiting till they were a year or two, year, two years old, what would you be just a couple of quick things would you suggest that they kind of look for? I think you've given them really great questions to ask when they go tour these schools because they can say, well, what about this? What about that? 
but what would be some things that they should just visually look for and, and tips for them? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the number one tip I can give to parents is to really do your research. There's so many different types of early childcare education programs. And that variety, I think, is beautiful. It gives you lots of options. But in those lots of options, it can it can get a little bit overwhelming for parents, I believe. And so a couple of things that you have to sort of ask yourself is, what do I believe these first, let's say, five years look like? I'm expecting, I'm about to have a baby, I'm walking through these centers, what should I be looking for? I would say, um, I actually uh, learned this in one of my trainings, but smell is really important, uh, how a center smells, if it's clean, um, you know, all like the newer centers that have all the new things and the new technology and the new uh, shiny new things uh, might not always be the best place. They, they have a lot of growing pains sometimes, you know, and so, so I've been in like all types of different centers. So I can tell you, uh, look definitely for cleanliness for organization for things to be at children's level. That's really important. Are the are the uh, materials accessible at their level? Is the is the environment inviting? Um, is there like a peaceful Zen feeling when you walk in? Um, are kids playing and interacting? Um, are they on the floor? What's happening? What do you see? Right. So I would say those would be the things to look look at as you walk in. My biggest questions always were and will be. Number one is what are the teacher qualifications that are here? You want to know that. What are the teacher to student ratios? You want to know that. Uh, and what um, what what curriculum do you subscribe to? Uh, you know what what is the goal here? So one of the examples I can give you that's easy, and I help my teachers with this and parents with this, is I say if you want somewhere that's fully educationally led, where the curriculum is followed to a T. They have lesson plans. They're doing things as prescribed. There are lots of educational pr programs that offer that. Um, some of them are franchised, well known in our our uh, communities, um, and so you know, ninety percent of the time, the teacher is leading what the children are learning, and they have specific goals in mind: letters, numbers, colors, animals. You know, and so if you want that, they ha we have that. That's a, that's an option. I've I've been to those types of centers. Then there are also centers that are 50-50. Um, these centers I find are typically NAYC accredited. So, um, so that's something to ask about is accreditation. Uh, and NAYC accredited centers really try to have that good balance of teacher-led and, and student-led. So yes, they have activities and ideas in mind, but then children also have an instructor time where they're just in centers and learning and playing and doing what they want to, to do. And so there's that type of center. So there's like a 90-10, education, child-led, 50-50, child-led, teacher-led. And then there's like the 90-10 child-led teacher guided, and those are Montessori schools, true Montessori schools, AMI accredited. Montessori schools are with AMS teachers. Those are also important things to ask. A lot of Montessori schools um, are Montessori inspired. So you wanna ask, are you AMS accredited or AMI accredited of the teachers in the school? And right. what they do is, you know, majority of the time children spend an instructor time where they're, uh, they are, they have three hour work periods where they are uh, learning what they want to learn for those three hours and the teacher is guiding them. So like I say, that's the first question you answer for yourself as a parent, like, how do I believe children learn and where do I want my child? where the teacher is in charge of the curriculum and making lesson plans as they will be in elementary and middle school and high school. <laughs> um, um, or 50-50 play and and uh, and teacher-led or fully child-led uh, with some guidance from the teachers. So once you can answer that, that sort of narrows you down, right? Do, do, do you go to Reggio Inspire? Do you go to Waldorf and Montessori? Do you go to an ASIC Credit Center? Is a church 
more suited for you that has a religious connotation and, and they're going to teach those uh, strong values to your child. Um, and then of course, like you have your fully academic schools for zero to five. So, so there's a, it, think of it as like multiple restaurants, right? You can choose different types, but you got to figure out what you want, you know, Italian, Mexican, Chinese, right? Once you decide what you sort of want, then you can sort of narrow down like what's close to me, what pricing, what are the teacher student ratios, I always harp on ratios because I really believe ratios matter. And I really believe that uh, the more more time teachers have to spend with each child, the more likely they are to build that strong bond and relationship. And so that's just my personal belief. And so you have to ask yourself, like it's this whole combination of, you know, the the theory of how children learn, excuse me, who are the teachers? um, How many teachers are per child? What are they doing daily? What is the goal? And then you can sort of narrow it down and are they accredited? And is that important to you? And should they be accredited? For me, it was always important. I always chose schools that were NAYC accredited for Daniel or at least um, Texas Rising Star in Texas at the four-star level. So those were sort of my criterias of cutoff of where I was gonna put my own child. So always like think about those things like, you know, what do I want? What are the teachers like in the, in, in the school? What are the ratios? Does this fit? right? My child and my needs. And the hours of operation are important too. You know, are they open when I need them to be? And so I think once you can answer all those questions, it it sort of narrows your list down and then you do those tours and then you decide what's best for you and your family. And then you try it out. And if it works, you stay. And if it doesn't, you don't, (laughs) you find somewhere else. Right. And you and I both live in big cities, and so we have a lot of options available, but we both understand, of course, that not everybody has even the option of NACI accredited centers or, you know, these different options. And so I think that what you say could be um, distilled down to what are you teaching? What are the ratios? What is the, you know, the general feel and relationship between children and, and, the, and the staff as the, the leading factors? And that could be at a home school. It could be, you know, at any church program, any, any strip center school, you know, and you and I both have seen excellent quality at all of those places. There's, there's lots of great, you and I both know so many wonderful people who are caring for other people's children because they're just good people. Absolutely. I have experienced it as well. I have seen amazing programs at all levels and all settings. And it really does boil down to those relationships with the families, relationship with the children, uh, the overall um, mission and vision comes through of why they're really there. And that love uh, for helping children learn, grow and develop, like you can't, uh, you know, you can't replace that. And so I've mm-hmm. seen wonderful programs in all types of situations. And I've also seen some programs that I thought would be these amazing, wonderful programs. But once I got to spend time in them and, and, and dig deeper, I saw some challenges and issues. So I definitely think you have to do your research for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Great advice. Great place to end our conversation that I think is really just so much great information for parents of, of little bitties or parent, parents who are expecting to have children soon. Thank you so much for your input. I so appreciate your insights. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hope to see you again in the future. Thank you. Yeah, hopefully soon. Bye. If you love today's episode, take a minute and subscribe to our podcast. And one last thing, I'd love to pray for you and your baby if you'd like for me to. You can email me at ask at nurturednoggins.com. 
Your request can be as simple as just one word, or it can include an explanation. Either way, you can trust that I will pray for you. It's a quiet, simple way that I can connect with you and your family and support you in your parenting journey.